Welcome to Pick 6 Podcast. Happy Wednesday, August 7th. It is, uh, Hard Knocks is here. Exciting debut of Hard Knocks. We learned the most valuable lesson of all. Just win, baby. Or, uh, or maybe, maybe not. Um, it's not really the lesson we got tonight. Um, I'm going to recap Hard Knocks. And, uh, then we'll dive into some conversation about which teams can make a leap offensively with Brady Quinn and Brian Wilson. Um, I would give the Hard Knocks premiere maybe like a, uh, B plus, maybe a B, maybe a B minus. I didn't think it was that out there. I thought it was going to be incredible. I thought it was going to be a little bit more aggressive. Um, you know, John Gruden was entertaining. There's some funny parts. His introduction was uh, was interesting. Let's take a listen to that real quick. Teams, don't they, guys? I said it to the rookies. All right, everybody in the NFL, I have a dream of making it in the NFL. I got a dream of winning a Super Bowl. I got a dream of being in a Pro Bowl. I'm really not into dreams anymore, okay? I'm into nightmares. You guys with me on that? You got to end somebody's dream. You got to take their job. You got to take their heart. Are you guys you guys clear about this NFL now? We're not trying to go to the Peach Bowl. We're not trying to go to the Gator Bowl or the Blue Bonnet Bowl. We're trying to go to the Super Bowl. Okay? And to do that, you gotta really try to end somebody's dream. Somebody's what's what's the blue bonnet bowl? Are you kidding me? What is the blue bonnet bowl? Nobody knows what a freaking blue bonnet bowl is. I think it's not a thing anymore. It's not the belt bowl, at least, Gruden. Jeez Louise. Um it was a uh look, like again, it was a good episode. Gruden, I, I think, I think, I think if, you, if I had to run through the stuff that we learned about that episode, I would say that, um, one, I, did I mention this? I'm Will Brinson. I'm the host of this daily NFL podcast that you should subscribe and leave a review. We'll be doing hard knocks recaps every, uh, every Wednesday, of course, briefly, like a five minute recap, uh, unless it's a really good show. But yeah, I mean, one, I think we learned that Gruden likes to cuss. And, uh, that's not a shocker, but that he, you know, he loves the camera too. You could tell. Um, they, they didn't want to, you would almost sense that they didn't want to max out Gruden, that they could have gone Gruden in every shot. Uh, you know, he just had some interesting clips. A lot clips. of rules. Don't be late. Try not to be overweight. Bust your ass and use common sense. That pretty much sums it up. That's his rules in life. Not a lot of them. Just, uh, bust your ass and don't be late and use common sense. Um, I think we also, you know, one of the big protagonists, certainly, uh, you know, it was going to be Derek Carr, the uh, quarterback for the Raiders. <laughs> we talk about him a lot of this show. Um, thought he came off a little weird. I don't want to, you know, sound like a biased here. I don't think I'm the only one who thought that. But uh, he definitely had like a interesting scene where he's like muscling up his kids at home early on, like playing basketball with him, trying to toughen them up. Uh, there was the, the shot with, uh, Jonathan Abram, the rookie safety where, uh, car, like, Abram's like, like saying how, like, his kid, like, he's like, if I was your kid, I know I wouldn't have to work because I got 125 million. You'll be around another 12 years. That's another 125. And then he's like asking Carr in front of this whole table how to, like, pronounce salmon. He's like, nah, it's, uh, he's like, it's, uh, salmon. I can't remember. He's like, is it salmon or salmon? And Carr's like, it's salmon. He's like, you gotta learn that. You gotta, you got money. You're gonna be going to some nice, I had the whole thing, like every interaction with Carr felt, felt like he was forcing it in a, in a weird way. That was just my takeaway from it. Um, 
And then the other big name, and Abram, by the way, was a, was a big part of this too. I mean, but the other big name, of course, Antonio Brown and the, the clip that went viral on, uh, on Tuesday afternoon was Antonio Brown's kids at, uh, at Raiders training camp. Come on. Where's Brown Huh? Where's Brown He played with the Steelers. I caught about Derrick now. We don't play with Rockerberger no more. We play with the Raiders. We play with Dan Carr. That's my quarterback. And his name, what's his name? Derek Carter? Derek Carr. Now where's him, Daddy? He's over there, number four. Derek Derek Carter, the old uh, quarterback of the uh <laughs> the Oakland Raiders. I don't know, man. It's just um I look you don't want to take away and like and act like this is a bad, you know, uh setup or anything like that for the for the Raiders. You just I don't know. I mean, it didn't feel like everybody was necessarily on the same page. Certainly didn't feel like Antonio Brown. They showed some clips of him catching passes. Uh, but it didn't feel like Antonio Brown and Derek Carr on the same page. Antonio Brown's foot issue isn't solved. I guess we'll learn more about that probably in the coming week, uh, maybe next Tuesday. But I mean, it's still clearly a concern. We'll talk more about that in, in later on in the episode. Um, Jonathan Abram was a big, big part. He went, uh, horseback riding to, uh, with Cleveland Farrell, two first round, uh, defensive rookies. Obviously they set that to, uh, Old Town Road and they're bouncing around doing that. I don't know. I mean, it just wasn't, uh, it was a good table setter. So I'm going to give it a B minus. Didn't blow my socks off. Uh, some good moments, but like nobody established themselves in the way that like Bob Wiley did with the Browns last year where you're like, whoa, 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 who's this guy out of nowhere? You know, I mean, so it was sort of like AB, Derek Carr and John Gruden. And it just might be where this is a, you know, a headliner show, and and that's fine. I think there's gonna be plenty of drama with those guys, but I mean, overall, didn't have my socks blown off by this episode. You're gonna have your socks blown off by this episode of the Pick Six Podcast, though. All right, so that's the Hard Knocks recap. Very exciting stuff. Who would have known that Antonio Brown didn't know you could uh freeze your feet or jump into a uh, foot freezer without the proper protective footwear? Ryan Wilson, Brady Quinn. I know Brady, Brady. Brady's a caring human being who worries about other people, so I doubt he's happy at the state of affairs with Antonio Brown's feet. Ryan Wilson, a spiteful Steelers fan, though, and I know you're enjoying. I don't know if you saw this headline, Ryan. It popped up. Uh, Chris Sims of NBC Sports, uh, he of the Top Button fame and uh, Pro Football Talk Live, has reported that Antonio Brown stepped into a cryogenic. Am I saying that right? Cryo, cryogenic, uh, yeah, yeah, cryotherapy, uh, tube to do some cryotherapy, didn't wear the protective footwear and effed up his feet. Um, you know, Ryan, again, I, I am curious about your spiteful Steelers take, but I feel like Brady, new age athlete, uh, actual jock might have done some cryotherapy, might know a little bit about this. Have you guys done this before? Yes, it's awesome. It's terrifying too. So, uh, I wouldn't describe it as that. I, I tried it out okay. and it, I actually kind of enjoyed it. So a couple of things. One, it's supposed to replace like, you know how obviously guys jump into a cold bath after, right? Like that's the whole point. You're cooling down your body, restricting blood flow. It's supposed to help you recover. Um, so this is you know, supposed to help your body. It's lowering your internal temperature. So it's supposed to help your body do something similar, but there's also another side effect to it. It's supposed to, to peak your testosterone. That's supposed to help with the recovery too. So naturally at that temperature for that period of time, it should peak your testosterone. So 
Uh, I've done it before. I think it's kind of cool. It's cutting edge. I don't know if it's placebo or if it's real, but I definitely wore uh, the gloves, and I think you're supposed to wear socks, not shoes, but like socks. And if you didn't cover your feet, maybe there's a chance that that's how it happened. I don't know. I'm, I'm still a little bit curious to to see if that's actually how this occurred or if it happened some other way. I don't know. Maybe burn it somewhere and somehow in a hot air balloon. But <laughs> at this point, um, it, it's it's just it's crazy to think like that could potentially end up hampering or impacting Antonio Brown's season, which is kind of a big year, I'd say, for the Raiders. Yeah, yeah no, I, I put the over-under at October for, for him having a meltdown. It looks like the under's currently winning. <laughs> uh, a couple of things. I live in upstate New York, and we get 400 feet of snow a year. And if you're dumb enough to go outside barefoot in the snow, your feet turn blue. You don't get blisters. So I'm with Brady. I'm sort of curious how blisters are suddenly forming from uh, being exposed to cold weather. And, and also, and people pointed this out on Twitter when the news broke um, earlier in the week, maybe he got blisters because he's wearing Gucci slippers while doing the, the brick catch for, for half an hour. I mean, what kind of moron wears slippers while they work out? Will Brinson. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's how I ended up. All, he has his elliptical slippers. He has his stationary bike slippers. <laughs> these, are, these are treadmill loafers. Thank you very much. Um, here's the actual from uh, from Pro Football Talk. On Monday, PFT Live co-host Chris Sims said that the photos posted by Brown don't reveal blisters, but the peeling of layers of skins from the bottom of his feet. And it, that is, does seem accurate. Sims said that he once had a condition like that thanks to what he called a an, uh, quote, unidentified buck fungus, end quote, in Tampa. Ew. After Monday's show, Sims got word from someone with knowledge of the situation that Brown burned his feet by entering a cryotherapy machine without the proper footwear, and his feet were frostbitten. Brown's agent, Drew Rosenhaus, did not respond to a request for comment. Um, it, it just feels like this Antonio Brown stuff is is going to go sideways at some point early in the season. Well, you have to take into consideration a couple things, right? For starters, um, I, I th- Antonio Brown's never experienced a losing season. Like literally, since he's been with the Pittsburgh Steelers, they've been 500. I think once or twice, they've never had a losing season. Okay, uh, the the Raiders in the past 16 years have only had one winning season. So uh, if history is bound to repeat itself, they most likely won't have a winning season this year. And that's what's going to be interesting: is how is that going to impact Antonio Brown, his attitude, his work ethic? Because he, he works extremely hard. But he also hasn't been introduced to, to that sort of failure, if you will. Probably not since going back to, to maybe some of his his college days. And so, yeah, maybe he's getting his touches and, and production and points, you know, or, or you know, touchdowns. But how is he going to handle that? I mean, it, that's something that I think weighs on guys who really haven't been a part of an organization that hasn't been, you know, relevant in December. And that's kind of crappy to deal with. Mm. So, um, Brady, let me ask you that. So, if you had Antonio Brown in your team, and look. As a Steelers homer, I loved Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh. He, there were issues under the surface that people didn't know about publicly, and you dealt with them because they were winning football games, as you point out. Roethlisberger obviously had very little issues with him on the field. But if there's a guy in your Derek Carr who has a history of sort of wilting in big moments and blocking Brinson because Brinson says mean things about he Carr. Do you? Their entire, all, all three Carr brothers have blocked me on Twitter. I think it's because you tweet too much. Like no. you, you, you would be, you would be a solid mute for me. Uh, 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're, I know you're probably surprised by this. You're probably yeah, like, he's, a, he's a surprised look at this. First of all, I want to point out something very quickly. Pete Briscoe accuses me. He's like, ah, oh, Brenton's all about his brand and Twitter. Pete tweeted 22 times this morning, uh, before, t- before 1030 in the morning. And I pointed out to him, he's like, I'm arguing with people. That's different. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Okay. <laughs> He, and he was defending himself because I, I think once again he got put in the position of making a very early prediction. He did it with Le'Veon Bell. He was wrong, and then now <laughs> he has to deal with people giving him flack because he's since taken the stance that Zeke Elliott won't sit out the entire season. Okay, all right, we'll we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, the car. Defending himself for the, the, Right, 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 of course. The Carr brothers, however, uh, no, I tweeted out a, a video, a quick video of Derek Carr, uh, throwing the ball into the ground on a fourth and 15 play. Uh, that's what... Um, uh, Darren Carr blocked me like five years ago, the, the youngest one, the, the, the Cooper Manning of the, uh, of the Carr family blocked me a while ago. Uh, <laughs> Derek, Derek Carr, or no, uh, David Carr tweeted out, it's like, a quote tweeted, it was like, like at CBS, this guy has a blue check mark and acts like he knows what he's talking about. It's clearly a screen pass. Um, and then blocked me. And then at some point in time, I guess Derek saw that and also blocked me. And so I didn't say anything malicious. I didn't say Derek Carr looks like he's scared of pressure and he's throwing screens into the ground on fourth down instead of keeping the play alive. I didn't say that. I just said, huh. And I uh, got blocked by all three Carr brothers for it. So my point, Brady, is – Antonio Brown, a good thing for Derek Carr, given the the volatility that comes with Antonio Brown, along with the production, or is he ultimately going to be a bad thing for for Derek uh, Derek Carr and ultimately, I guess, John Gruden? Uh, it's a tough question to answer because I think Derek Carr and Antonio Brown have a relationship that started before this. It sounds like at the Pro Bowl, and if he can find a way of connecting with them where he can kind of calm him and be that voice of reason when the emotions do run high, you know. I, I, th- I think they'll be okay because, look, this offense is going to be catered towards getting Antonio Brown the ball. That's why they traded for him. That's why they paid him. And that's what they've really been looking for is a dynamic playmaker. They felt like Amari Cooper failed them in that way. So Antonio Brown's now going to be that guy regardless of what defenses do. So I think they'll be fine. I mean, you know, the biggest thing for Derek Carr is, is, is can he handle not only Antonio Brown – but other strong personalities. John Gruden, we already saw that was kind of last year. There was some friction from time to time. Richie Incognito is a part of this team, and he's suspended for uh, a, a portion of the season. But when he does come back, I imagine he's going to start and play. And when he does, you know, how's he going to handle that? So there's there's a number of strong personalities that I think we're going to get to see, uh, you know, throughout the course of the season, have all kinds of different emotions to the different roller coasters that an NFL season takes you on. All right, who do you think will look more uh, – do you think that I'll look right for my stance on Derek Carr and his – I'm just kidding. I like Derek Carr. He's fine. Um, you don't like him. Yeah, I'm, sure he's a, I'm sure he's a nice guy. Better? You like Philip Rivers better. Yeah. 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 I don't like Patrick Mahomes. I don't like Joe Flacco. I don't like Derek Carr. I just like Philip Rivers. Thanks very much. Um, no, I'm just kidding. You know, I do like Zeke Elliott. I like him a lot. Like him a lot, Brady. And, uh, there's a report out there from Josina Anderson of ESPN that representatives for the running back Ezekiel Elliott have told the Dallas Cowboys that he will not play during the 2019 season without a new contract. The source added that at this time it is not likely that Elliott's holdout continues into the regular season. Or what does that even mean? Based on the belief that Cowboys owner Jerry Jones wants to get a new deal done before week one. 
Uh, buying or selling, Zeke Elliott sits out the entire season. I'm selling this um, for a, a few different reasons. For one, I do think they're going to get a deal done because they understand what an integral party is of this offense and really giving them the best chance they, they, they can to win a Super Bowl at this point. So for that reason, I think they're going to figure out a way of getting this deal done. The next reason is um, I, I think that he's got leverage, leverage in the sense of how they've built this team, but he's the only one who didn't show up. You know, Dak Prescott showed up. Amari Cooper showed up. Zeke didn't. And, and obviously until this situation is rectified and, and fixed, they're going to keep hearing about it. And, and they're going to have the opportunity to go into the season and, you know, let's say things don't get off to a good start, which their schedule is another issue because I actually think they could be 3-0 and pretty easily when you look at their first three games, which might work against Zeke's strategy of, of being able to hold out. But I still think there's going to be some bumpy roads throughout their schedule, and they're going to need him back if they want to be the best team they can possibly be. So, you know, for, for those two reasons, really the final one, they've invested a lot in Zeke. You know, they've had his back throughout everything else too uh, off the field that he's dealt with. I think they want to make this work. I think they want to make him part of this football team. And I think they want to give him, give him the contract that he's looking for. It's just not going to be one that blows the Todd Gurley deal out of the water. And they're going to have to structure it as such that allows them to get out from underneath this probably after two years. So if you're Zeke's agent and you come to the table and you bring along with you Stephen Jones' comments from March where he said, we understand that the starting point is Todd Gurley, what is, what are the Cowboys' response to that? I think they say, um, you know, we, we can understand how you see it that way. And, and, you know, his agent's going to present all these different, uh, all this different data, right? His, his touches, his production, their, their win loss record when he plays and all that stuff, right? That's typically what they do. You know, some agents prepare packets and so forth. I remember my agent telling me when he was negotiating my rookie deal, that's what he was doing, uh, with, with the Cleveland Browns at that point in time when they go in there for a contract negotiation. So, um, you know, they'll be throwing out different numbers. Bottom line is none of that matters. <laughs> because they only have a little over $22.5 million to work with in salary cap. They've got to figure out a way of not only extending him, but Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, Byron Jones, you know, Tyron Crawford and Jalen Smith are both uh, restricted free agents after this year. So, you know, they've got a lot of guys they gotta figure out how to how to, you know, how they're gonna move forward with. And <clears throat> the the way they're gonna have to be able to get it done if they want to try to get all three is they're gonna have to pay a lot of cash and a lot of bonuses, prorated over a number of years. And they might have to make some other tough decisions on their roster or with some of these other guys that I had mentioned um, that they're not going to be able to extend. Because my belief is I think Dak and Zeke get done. I don't think Amari Cooper does. He's making $13.9 million this year. I, I think he'll end up playing out this year. Maybe they'll use the franchise tag on him next year, even though that number would be pretty high. Uh, or maybe he'll have a great season and they agree to a long-term deal. But you know, for him to be able to make $13.9 this year, you know, that's significantly more than both Dak and Zeke are making this year. And on top of that, you know, he'll have the opportunity to get in the free agent market. We'll probably be able to cash in on it. So, uh, I just, I think it's hard with the amount of cap space they have to get all three done. It'll probably just be two of the three, in my opinion. But, you know, whatever, whatever his agent says, you know, to me, it's, it's almost irrelevant. I think they know where the basis is of where Zeke wants to get over Todd Gurley. And obviously the, the team has an idea of how they want to structure it. It just comes down to making it work for both sides. The thing with Dak and Amari is huge too. So like, I think it's important to note that while Zeke Elliott is technically under contract for two more years, he might as well be under contract for four more years. I mean, the franchise tag is so cheap for running backs that it would be and so efficient because you keep him on a year-to-year, single-year contract that it would be stunning if they let him walk, you know, like they didn't use the tag on him. And then with Dak and Amari, if, if they can just get one of those guys done, 
before this season, that will save them a lot of stress next offseason because they can use the tag on the other guy. I think you're right. I think they'd love to get those done. But if I'm if I'm Dak, I'm not taking whatever, you know, top ten deal Jerry's offering me right now. I'll play I'll play the season out and then and then try and leverage it with Amari and the franchise tag. Just me personally though. It's it's one way of going and and I'm not sure how Ryan feels about it. But I think as a quarterback there's there's two things. Um, for Dak, I mean, he's bet on himself since he got in the league, right? I mean, he's been playing for far less than what he should be earning at this point in time. Um, and, and so maybe he doesn't feel any need to necessarily take just any deal they throw at him, uh, regardless of how, you know, decent the numbers are and how big the money is. Cause think about it. He really hasn't, this is the most he's made at this point in time in his career. He's making two million. So I know he's made a lot of money off the field with different endorsements. I'm sure that satisfied him to some degree, but if they were to throw at him 30, 40 million, you know, 30 million is a signing bonus, 40 million, something like that, that sort of number. And it starts to inch into the Carson Wentz, you know, type deal. It's hard to turn down. Um, and, and so, you know, do they, do they go that route? Maybe, as I said before, I, I think they've already offered him or would have already wanted to offer him that sort of deal if they were convinced he was the guy. Yeah, I, I think they naturally might end up doing that only because there's, there's some reservations about him as a, as a quarterback. And if he plays the way you hope he does, You'll be glad to have that problem in the future if you do have the franchise tag him in order to pay him some, you know, obscene amount of money because, you know, he's proved to you that he is your, your, you know, franchise starter for the next 10 years. Um, a couple more reports on Zeke Elliott because God knows we just can't have a consistent theme going here. Um, Jane Slater, uh, reports, Jane Slater of NFL Network reports that, um, the Cowboys have put quote generous End quote, offers on the table for Dak, Zeke, and Amari Cooper, putting each one in the top five, quote, highest paid at their positions. Um, and, uh, she said, additionally, I'm told they're ready and willing to get the deals done, but if the two sides can't agree on numbers that make more sense, the Cowboys are prepared to play the season with each player on a prove it deal. Uh, Mike Girafalo of NFL Network added as well that, uh, th- that Zeke wants more than Todd Gurley money, but the Cowboys are well south of that. And, uh, Jason LaCafora, our own CBS Sports NFL insider, wrote, as for Elliott, who remains a holdout from training camp, sources close to the running back have reaffirmed that putting game checks at risk and having a holdout bleed into the regular season is not something, Ryan, that Elliott wants to do. Yeah, I'm curious what this generous quote unquote means because, you know, we know what Zeke thinks it means and it doesn't mean Le'Veon Bell money at 13 million and change. So I don't know how this is going to resolve itself. Uh, other than, I mean, he could sit out. I don't, I don't imagine he'll do that, but no one thought Le'Veon Bell was, go, was going to sit out either. Um, we were talking about Dak. I just want to ask Brady something quickly because Tom Brady got his new deal and it makes him the sixth highest paid quarterback. So Brady, given your experience and sort of your background, if you're t- why why is Tom Brady taking a deal? And is I'm being serious. Is it legitimately because of all the sponsorship money he gets? Is it because his wife is worth 500 times more than he is? Because you know Dak wants to be among the highest paid. I understand that Aaron Rodgers wants to be among the highest paid. I get that. What does Tom Brady have that they don't have in addition to those six Super Bowl rings? I honestly don't know. I mean, that, that's one of the greatest questions you could ask any player because uh, time and time again, there was a couple of years where he ended up taking um, deals that weren't so team friendly, and he was one of the highest, if not the highest paid quarterback. Maybe back in 2013, you'd have to go back, you know, six or seven years to, to see that. But um, look, they, they've had a lot of success with him taking less, leaving some extra cap space for others on the team. And I think this this particular deal gives him a bump in pay, which probably – satisfies them to some degree 
and at the same time allows him to kind of go in there and, 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 and you know, have different things built in where he's got to prove it. And, you know, look, he could have, he could have not signed a deal. He could have signed whatever deal he wants. He's got a lifetime deal in my mind. He's going to play there as long as he wants to until he wants to call it quits because we already saw who won out the last time there was a quarterback who you can make the case would have competed with him to eventually take over, a la an Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre scenario, right? Mm-hmm. That was Jimmy Garoppolo. And Tom Brady and Robert Kraft, who is ultimately that's what he wanted, and their relationship really trumped the decision of Belichick, that you know they ended up shipping him out to San Francisco for a second-round pick. And so you know, after this year, is there the potential that – you know, he becomes a free agent, whatever. Yeah, maybe, but I don't think he's going anywhere. Why would he? Why would he at 43 years old want to go somewhere else, start all, start all over again? Aaron Rodgers at, at 35 years old right now is talking about the difficulties of Matt LaFleur's, you know, system in regards to the language and the verbiage that they're using. It's so different from what he's had in the past. That's a hurdle that I don't think any quarterback, especially one that's played in one system for 20 years, wants to deal with. So, uh, to me, he's got a lifetime contract there. With the success that he's had, when he wants to hang him up, he'll hang him up. I think they've got the framework in there for additional years if they want. And, and look, they're going to draft one. They're probably going to sign one. Jacoby Brissett's a viable option after this year. He'll become a free agent. So wouldn't be shocked if he didn't find his way back to New England and, and sign a deal that allows him to potentially replace Tom Brady at some point, if not just be an insurance policy with him at that age. But isn't it weird that the most successful quarterback in NFL history isn't uber competitive about him being the highest paid? Yeah, but think about how he came to the league. You know, I don't, you know, it's something that wasn't provided to him initially early on, and it's not what drives him. You know, I think he knows that his legacy is, is swept up in victories and all that, not setting marks or, you know, pushing the envelope for other quarterbacks in the league to keep pushing higher and higher, um, the, the salary cap for his contracts. You know, Matt Ryan will go down and Matt Stafford will go down as two of the, the most highest paid quarterbacks in NFL history, you know, purely because of when they came into the league and what they made on their rookie deals because it was the old system. It wasn't, uh, you know, it, it wasn't Slater's or scaled. And, and then you look at what they've done since then and they're still relatively young and still signing huge contracts. So, um, you know, those guys are going to far out, out, you know, weigh anything, you know, he signed in his career. And I think he's, we were looking this up the other day because we were kind of curious, like, He's played, this will be his 20th season. How much do you think he's made in his career? And I think he's earned like somewhere around like 227 million or maybe it's like 235 million now. And, and someone posed the question, like, what about Eli Manning? Eli Manning's made over 250 million in his hmm. career. And, and so when you think about those deals and you think about like Matt Ryan and Matt Stafford, they probably aren't to the $200 million range yet, but they will be at some point here soon as far as dollars earned. Uh, purely because of the type of deals that they signed coming into it being, you know, the, the first overall and second overall pick, uh, in their respective draft classes. But it's, it, it is odd that there's that one element that to him, you know, competition and wanting to be the best matters. But it seems like as far as in the dollar signs and what's attached to your contract, it's not. But I, I just think it has a lot to do with where he's drafted. He wants to keep a chip on his shoulder, you know? I, I don't forget too that like, Look, it doesn't hurt that he has the TB12 facility inside of Foxborough. I mean, that that is not a bad thing. Like, he has built a brand. And I think the other thing that Tom Brady's done really well um, that sort of flies under the radar is he's, a, he's just a smart businessman. He took, uh, he took you know, equity in Uggs and Under Armour instead of just taking a generic contract. I mean, that's he's getting paid for life off of those. And he's got a, a really rich supermodel wife. So he's not – it's not like he's sweating – this next paycheck or this, you know, next 23 million. Having said that, 
Brady. Let me ask this though. Let me ask this because I, when I was coming out in the draft, dude, I was offered stock options for Under Armour, right? Oh, you are. And, oh yeah. Breaking and, news. But that's not that's not really equity, right? Like right. because really, if like I'd rather I'd rather take more money from Nike, which I did, and then buy Under Armour stock, than take you know then take stock that's being offered to me. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Like there's not yeah. really advantage to that. So I would be shocked to find out if. Uh, what is it? Plank? Well, I can't remember his first name. Uh, yeah, Kevin Plank, the Kevin old, uh, cause he actually was... gave up equity to Tom Brady. Maybe stock or something like that or some sort of option. But uh, outside of that, like you'd rather just take cash because you can always just buy the stock later. Um, yeah, maybe, but I feel like Tom Brady's a guy you could give equity to. And then he's like invested and wants to pump up the company too, maybe? Maybe. Oh, oh well, here it is. Uh, November 9th, 2010. Um, uh, do, 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 do. let's see, equity, if I search, it says it includes an equity stake. Uh, oh, here it is. The real news may be that Brady is also giving a financial stake in the company. Tom is a shareholder in Under Armour, said founder and CEO Kevin Plank. Equity was a part of our deal. That was important to Tom that a stake in the company was part of the deal. So who knows? I mean, now I, I'm with you. I'm with you. If he gave him like 1%, but that could be a lot of money now. Right. And it's also different if he gave him like a hundred shares of Under Armour stock. Like that's, you'd rather have the money from Nike. But you're pretty, you're a, uh, you're, uh, you're a smart businessman. So we knew that. Um, bet on yourself. You know who else bets on himself? DeAndre Hopkins. So this is, uh, Nuke talking to our own Pete Briscoe on CBS Sports HQ 24 hour, 24 seven streaming sports network for free. On Amazon, Roku, Fire, Apple TV, everything else. Talking to DeAndre Hopkins from the Packers-Texans joint training camp earlier on uh, whatever the hell day it was. Let's say Tuesday. Uh, you know, I take pride in my work, so I'm going to say myself, man. Um, I feel like every receiver should say themselves, honestly. You look around the league at all the receivers. There are. That was the answer. That's it. DeAndre Hopkins says that he <laughs> thinks he's the best receiver in the league. Pete Briscoe, a long time uh, <laughs> columnist at CBSSports.com asking the hard-hitting questions, Brady. Is uh, DeAndre right or wrong with that incredible answer? This is always a hard one to, to, to answer because, in, in my opinion, I think there's one thing he lacks a little bit, and that's just like the overall explosiveness when you're comparing him to the likes of like an Odell, a Julio Jones. Um, you know, I actually he's probably just as fast, about the same as as uh, Michael Thomas. I mean, Michael Thomas ran like a four-five. You know, plus when he's coming out in his 40. He's not overly fast. He's a great route runner, good hands. Um, but when you start comparing him versus, you know, maybe those two in particular and some of the others, that's the only part of his game that you don't see as much. But the dude doesn't drop anything. He's a great route runner. He makes contested catches. He's tough. Um, and so he has everything else. So that, that, that's the only thing that I, I think you'd say is a little bit lacking in. But, you know, to me, he's, he's right up there. I, I think you're making a case between him, Julio Jones, Odell and maybe Antonio Brown based on his production, but he's getting up there in age. So th- those three, to me, they're interchangeable. I would say they're the 1A, 1B, 1C. I, I honestly have a hard time picking between him, Julio, and, 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 and Odell when he's healthy. Yeah, so the, right, the speed is the big issue with, with Hopkins. But then I went back and looked at his stats last year, and so he let <laughs> – if you had to guess how many targets, Brinson, he had from Deshaun Watson, what would you, what would you guess me? Uh, 140. Are you looking? No, I'm just guessing. I don't know. 163. Okay. Yes. Wow. I wasn't even that close for a guess. For, for 140 is a lot of targets. He had 110, he had 120 catches, didn't he? 115. So, right. but here's the thing. That team was so terrible in terms of the offensive line and the other playmakers. Cause remember, Will Fuller tore his ACL. 
He ended the season, Will Fuller, after seven games, number two in receptions with 32 in that uh, on that team. Number three was Ryan Griffin, the tight end, who's no longer with the team. I think he just signed with the Jets after Herndon got suspended, and um, and so on and so forth. It goes down the list. DeAndre Hopkins had 115 receptions. He was the offense. That was it when Deshaun Watson wasn't getting sacked 62 times. So Antonio Brown had Juju Smith-Schuster. Julio had um, uh, Calvin Ridley. And um, Odell, he, he had Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram was a little hurt. He had Sterling Shepard. Sterling Shepard's not great. But I think compared to all the other wide receivers, it was DeAndre Hopkins. He was the only playmaker on that Texans team outside of Deshaun Watson. So, I, I mean, he has a case. If I'm drafting a wide receiver first overall, I'm probably taking Odell, I think. But DeAndre's in the conversation. You're not taking Odell? The one thing that I think you got to factor in too, though, is personality. Like Odell would be up there for that reason, but at the same time, I'd also be like, man, DeAndre Hopkins is a good dude. He, he seems like he's easy to play with. Mm. You know, seems like the, the you know the same. And when you start factoring that into, I think it changes a little bit of how you feel. But but you're right. It was definitely was a bare cupboard around him. And and look, but but the best deal with that, right? I mean, Antonio Brown dealt with that even with Juju Smith-Schuster times. He's still been in the best corner. He's still getting. You know, bracket coverage at times because you can still do that. You can double two guys and, and still rush for and still play man to man on everyone else. So, um, you know, the, the best to have to deal with that, I think all those guys do. It's just maybe the personality factors at some point, like kind of like Will Brinson's personality. Exactly. Know? Everybody wants to podcast with me because of my personality. Speaking of which, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back. And, uh, Brady has this crazy idea for like breakout offenses that I was willing because I'm a, I'm a team player to let, to let you go along with and we will, uh, Talk about those after the break. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Okay, so a couple more news items really quickly. Um, Brady, we mentioned DeAndre Hopkins asked about being the best wide receiver. Were you ever asked, are you the best quarterback in football? Or like, are you the, has anybody ever come to you and been like, do you, are you the best player to ever be at Notre Dame? No, um, I like, I, I like to say it. I like to say it because it's awkward, but you know, it's kind of true. Um, I don't know that like anyone's <laughs> ever said that one or asked me that, but I don't think I played well enough in the NFL to ever warrant that question, but. Um, it's, it, it's interesting because I always tell this to people, even if the guys in the back end of the roster are trying to make it, that guy thinks he's the best and he just needs a chance and an opportunity. 
And it didn't matter if it was the beginning of my career or the end of my career in the NFL. I was always like, dude, if I just had an opportunity and with the right team or a certain situation, the right play caller, things would be different. And and everyone feels that way. Trust me, because Brady, it, it takes a lot to get there. And that's that's part of it. You have to be a little bit crazy and you have to be overly confident in your abilities in order to play in the NFL. Does Nathan Peterman feel that way? Yes, he does. And and you may say otherwise, but look, John Gruden sees something in this Nathan Peterman. You know, he came <laughs> out there, he sees something in that, that Nathan Peterman, you know? The, the best the best example I thought of all time, this is the reason I asked this, because um, for whatever effing reason, back in 2014, somebody approached D. Milliner and was like, hey, are you the best cornerback in football? He's like, I am absolutely the best cornerback in football. And he's like, he was not even close. Like, it's like, Dude, you're not even close to the best quarterback in football, but you have to say that. You have to think that or else why are you going out there, right? You have to. I mean, look, Will Brinson should think that he's the best podcaster on this planet. Like that's that to me is like that's the one thing that I think football, like especially getting to the NFL level, it kind of taught me was, you know, not everyone's born with the same capabilities or talent, but if you have a certain mindset, you can overcome a lot of that. And especially in the world where once you get out, and that's why, like, I, I look at, you know, Will, for example. Like, Will, you need to have that mindset, especially when you're selling Tuffy beer. Hey, um, I got a text from my wife. There, uh, Tuffy beer is out there. It is available. I was at the Tuffy beer premiere on Monday night down at the PR. Some free hookup from New Belgium. Somebody was like, so what are you getting paid for this? I was like, uh, just getting some free beer. They're like, you're a, you're a moron. You're a moron. Free tickets to the Durham Bulls. It's a barter system. Come on. It's a barter system. Hey, if I get free beer at tailgates for the rest of the year, I'll be fine with that. Uh, Aaron Rodgers says he is not a fan of joint practices. Do they serve a purpose? And he said, according to PackersNews.com, I wouldn't mind if they didn't do it for another 14 years. Uh, he is practicing. Pete Prisco's up there. Saw him practicing. Uh, Matt LaFleur said, Absolutely, 100%. I want to do this again. Where do you fall on joint practices, Brady? I love it because you get a better sense of, you know, if what you're doing, if it's effective or not. We had a joint practice when I was in Kansas City and we were awful that year during the season, but in that joint practice, man, we spanked the Arizona Cardinals and then we <laughs> played the preseason game against them and they spanked us. So part of the issue might have been we were showing them our best stuff in practice because we wanted to feel good about ourselves and then, uh, Everyone was uh, pattern matching all our routes, and uh, they had dialed up some blitzes that we weren't prepared for. And you kind of thought to yourself, "Well, this is this is shocking. No one saw this coming. Maybe we should have given them our entire game plan to go prepare for uh, while they're hanging out here at St. Joe's while it's hot and humid in the dorms." So, uh, and by the way, the best part about this is so Larry Fitzgerald comes in, and he's like the mayor, right? Like it's like he brings. Like he's like the the mayor that comes from Phoenix, and, like brings Phoenix with him. There's like so many people with the Cardinals. And, and they're on this campus and Larry like pays for them to cater food. So mind you, we're staying there. Like we're the chiefs. We're staying there. We're the home team. We're there at our training camp. We have to go back to a dining hall to eat and the food's not good. And Larry Fitzgerald finds this like elaborate, very nice layout of, of like a catering service that comes out for their team. Oh, and so we get stuck with this dining hall food and he gets stuck with this elaborate. And I'm like, and they're the away team. Like, we're, like we're not. It was so backwards, I, I don't even know where to begin. And and it's like you're in Kansas City. So you're thinking, hey, let's show these guys, you know, what kind of barbecue we got, et cetera, et cetera. Now this was not a um this is not a Bruce Arians team, right? This was a uh Ken Wizen Ken Wizen Hunt team, because this would have been two thousand twelve, right? 
Uh, no, as far as what team he was, uh, yeah, yeah 2012. So I think Ken was on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Freddie, fun fact. Oh, no, Ray Horton was the defensive coordinator. He was kind of crazy too, though. I could see him pattern, yeah. ma- pattern matching and blitzing. Uh, fun fact, Freddie Kitchens, tight ends coach on that, uh, Cardinals That's right. team. That's right. And Frank, yeah. Frank, and, oh my God, Frank Wright, wide receivers coach. What a loaded coaching staff. By the way, uh, Brady's story about Kansas City blowing him out in, in the workouts sounds a lot like uh, Steve Spurrier when he was with the Redskins. They went 4-0 in the preseason, <laughs> and they were just they had Danny Werfel playing the whole game, crushing guys, and then I think they had a pretty terrible season that year. The old ball coach didn't work out. You <laughs> play, play every one of them to win, though, man. I tell you, yeah. that was one thing that Pete Carroll like instilled in everyone in preseason when I was there with them. We went out 4-0. That was the year they went on to win the, uh, the Super Bowl, and it's literally because he brainwashed our entire team that – Every opportunity is a championship opportunity. Always compete. And so every time a players got out there, like from our practices, because they were so competitive. I mean, what? Like I was I was shocked we actually had any OTA practices because our walkthroughs were so physical and so not what the NFLPA was like looking for in our CBA. I was shocked we had any. I think we lost two that year. But um, we ended up going into the season or they ended up going into the season. And you weren't shocked because – Guys would be like rabid dogs, like out there in the field, just so hungry to hit someone and like score touchdowns, but just physically maul you. That's just how he had the mindset of that team that year. I like so, it. I actually was asking, oh, I was talking to, to Danny and Raja about just being a professional athlete and having sort of a rah-rah coach and whether you buy into it or not. So Pete Carroll's rah-rah USC thing, old guys were buying into that whole hog. So my experience was this. So I had heard about it from Brandon Stokely. Because he left Denver and he went to play for Seattle. We, we saw him in a preseason game and he was like, man, you'll not believe it. You know, he's, he got the Southern accent. He's <laughs> like, man, it's like a pep rally every single, every single day in there in the team meetings. Like, it's unbelievable. You will not believe it. And, and so we were like sitting there listening to him talk. I'm like, all right, all right. Like, I wonder what that's like. Well, I ended up there in 2013 and we was a terrible year. I mean, for me personally, our team stuff off the field. Like football was like a, you know, it, it was, it was difficult. It was difficult to love football after that year, every way everything went. And then you get in those meetings with Pete and he gets you so fired up just to practice, like not even play the games yet, but to practice that you're like, this is fun again. Like this is a sport. We're being paid to play a sport professionally. We should probably enjoy this. And he made it so much fun. And, and you look, granted, he cut me, but like, I'll tell you this much. The time <laughs> up there, I, I loved football. I had a ton of fun. Um, they like the Jets called them asked about me and they, you know, I had glowing remarks. So I signed up the Jets then 24 hours later, but he, uh, you know, he, it was fun. I, I, I kind of get why they were so good at USC outside the pancake stuff and I mean, having made advantage there. Like he made, he made you know, football fun and I, it's a fun thing and it's very contagious to be around. Mm. Um, maybe the Seahawks will sneak into the list of potential best offenses. Um, so here's the goal when we talk about superlative week. Uh, we're trying to pick offenses is basically offenses who could make a leap. And we're not going to get too constrictive here, Brady, because I think you've got a couple of teams that uh, you don't necessarily think might be top five. Um, the goal was to pick like at the end of the year, we might say, man, that offense sort of came out of nowhere. And so we're going to rule out the Chiefs, Rams, Chargers, Patriots, the Buccaneers. I don't care if the Bucks stunk. Their offense is good last year. Um, they have Bruce Harris, one of the team now. Uh, Falcons, Saints, and Colts. I feel like those were the best offenses last year. Does that feel like a fair list to rule out for both of you guys? Uh, sure. I okay. mean, Ryan, what do you think? Ryan gives us a thumbs Sorry, up. Sorry, I was muting. Yeah, no, uh, I agree, 100%. <laughs> um, 
I was okay. taking my old man medicine. So, so here's here's the thing is I was like thinking about different teams like and when Will went over the idea I was like all right that's not very fun though right like like the Bears defense two years ago top ten then last year they're top five so let's well, that's a huge guess there right right Willie boy um, firing shots but, at BMAC, I see no it's not <laughs> shots that I'm just saying if you were to make a prediction like if you were to say the Arizona Cardinals offense is going to go from worst to to top half of the league. That's a huge jump. Like that, that's significant, and it's maybe enough to win them enough games where they're not drafting first, second, or third next year. Um, and, and and that's a possibility. Like I think when you look at their pieces, you look at the fit. I mean, go back and look at Chip Kelly when he brought his college system that no one thought would work to the NFL. Yep. Well, ten and six went to the playoffs, got bounced out, but still. And the next year, ten and six. You know, it's it's just interesting that you know they were able to put up yards, production, and offense. So I don't think that's going to be an issue for them. It's just going to come down to whether or not. Uh, their defense can hold up with that style if they're going to play up tempo. And then how Kyler Murray, who's a rookie, mind you, because granted they had, you know, more of a, a veteran presence there, how a rookie is going to be able to handle in his first year. That, that's one to keep an eye on. I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. No, I, I think, look, I, you make a great argument for it and I don't disagree at all. I think if anything, the defense or lack thereof for the defense might actually allow the Cardinals to vault themselves higher in terms of the offensive ranks without actually maybe even winning games. Like they could be a great, Top 10 offense in terms of yards and points and be a 5 and 11 team because they just don't have any defense because they have a rookie quarterback and maybe the offensive line doesn't hold up. But I think we're going to see them throw it all over the place. You're going to see Kingsbury emptying out the bag, the, you know, the kitchen sink every week knowing he has to win. I think there's pressure to win now or at least be exciting and interesting and a team on the rise or whatever it is. So I have no problem including the Cardinals. I mean, their upside in terms of offense is, is top 10. I don't, I don't think, you know, we should rule them out, especially when, you know, they were, I mean, historically one of the worst. I think I haven't read the, the football outsiders Cardinals chapter yet in the, in the football outsiders almanac, but their, their DVOA on offense was negative 41.1, which is, is that you snoring? Um, I'm sorry. What were you, what were you saying? Okay. What, what were you talking about? I don't see why you wouldn't want more context to understand the, um, like yards, yards is not a very revealing type of, uh, statistic, Brady. Cause yards. Sure. sure why not? No, look, I get it. We're trying our best we can to, to put things into context, but there's, look, football is the hardest thing I think to derive analytics from only because there's so many variables. So, you know, you're acting like when you take into account all these things, it's an equal playing field for everyone. It's not, right? Things change. Personnel changes. A lot of things change. So, you know, that stat, for example, works. But, you know, who knows? Like this offense probably wasn't, if you're talking about the Cardinals, the worst offense last year if all their offensive linemen were healthy, right? It's right. probably a different season for David Johnson, different season for everyone. That wasn't the case. And, and so that impacts how bad they were. This year, if they're healthy, they might be better even if Steve Wilkes was the head coach and, and Byron Leftwich was still calling the plays for Mike McCoy – just with a healthy team, that might have been better because of that. So, yeah, again, things can be misleading because there's so many different factors and variables. Uh, and so that's why sometimes those things, I, I'm sorry, I, I got to throw them out every once in a while. That's fine. But, but look, look, just look at the basic stats. There. They averaged 241 yards per game offensively last year. That is horrific. I don't care. It if you, is. So you're, you're using the context, right? And, and let me, so let me, or you're using the stats to, to justify your point. Let me provide context. If I asked you to go do a job you've never done before, really at a professional level, and you've got to do that, you know, two in two weeks from now, which is what two of their offensive linemen had to do when I was calling games for them last year, you'd probably say that doesn't really bode well for their success. 
they had four offensive linemen who, who weren't even starters at the beginning of the year. They had one guy, a, a, a rookie at center who wasn't even supposed to be slated to, to be the starter right away, but at least he was there before the season started. It was an absolute mess on the offensive line. And, and, but again, that's hard to read into in the stats to really understand why they were so bad. Hey, Brady, let me ask you this. And I've said this before on the podcast. If uh, Cliff Kingsbury looked like Rob Ryan, would he have a job right now? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not even joking. I'm serious. I, I I do think he still would have a job because, you know, Rex Ryan looks like Rex Ryan and he got a job. Right. So <laughs> multiple, um, multiple jobs, multiple <laughs> jobs and head jobs because hey, he's so good at what hey, he did. I, Ad, I look, I, I, hey, buddy. Hey, Adam Gase got caught staring at tacos. With uh, and he's got a job. So he's who doesn't love tacos, by the way? A little Taco Tuesday today, huh? Yeah, it is Maybe. Taco Tuesday. Yeah, a little red wine with that, like LeBron. It might be, might, might be not too. Those don't go well together, but you know. And you know, anyway, look. It, I think the better question, I think, is it five years ago before Sean McVay taking that job with LA and become what he's become, would a team be willing to risk doing that? And and, and that's an interesting question because. Everyone's trying to find that Sean McVay, right? I mean, Sean McVay offered Cliff Kingsbury to be on his staff. You know, he, you know, at, at one point, you know, Cliff Kingsbury's the OC at USC, but they were worried about, you know, that the staff, you know, kind of poaching him somewhere in the NFL. I just, I, I wonder more so, forget about the, the exterior stuff, but if there wasn't someone who set the precedent beforehand to like make it okay, does Zach Taylor have a head job? Um, or does Cliff Kingsbury have a head job? Like any of these young offensive minds you're talking about, um, that, that have been, you know, that were touched in some part, some way. Matt Lafleur, for example, uh, by Sean McVay. I, I kind of wonder that, or if teams would still be gutsy enough to take the risk and the attempt to hire these guys with no previous head coaching experience in two of the three, or none at the NFL level, I should say. Well, don't forget that the Cardinals initially in their uh, press release announcing Kingsbury, were like he's also a good friend of Sean McVay. It's like, hey, sorry, all right, all right, all right, that's great. Like, settle, settle down a little bit. That's um, a press release, president, right? Please. Uh, by the way, just looking at the yards per game, uh, and even, even if you want to compare DVOA, like the 2010 Carolina Panthers, which is one of the worst football teams I have ever seen in my entire life, uh, was not as bad offensively as last year's Cardinals in a more passing friendly offense. And that's a 15 team. Uh, yeah, that was the team that law, that had Jimmy Clausen and John Fox the year before he got fired and they drafted Ron Rivera and, and drafted Cam Newton the next year. So a very, very, very bad team. Uh, alright, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a pick here. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna, I'm making a pick. It's my show. I'm making picks. Um, speaking of the Panthers, I think the Panthers are a sneaky pick to potentially be one of the best offenses in football when you look at what they were doing through their first eight games last year. Six and two, um, were starting to really put up some numbers statistically from an offensive perspective. Cam Newton had gotten comfortable in that offense. Christian McCaffrey's putting up big numbers. Curtis. Were, were they 10th in yards last year? In total in yards? <laughs> You're not really going out on a limb there, are you? I, th- I, th- I mean, I th- I'm saying that the Panthers could conceivably finish with the best offense in football. I'm saying okay. that they could make All a right. leap. All right. No, I mean, they were good. I mean, that's my point. They were good. Like, if, if the end of the season comes and the Panthers have a top two or three offense, people are going to be writing stories about Norv Turner reinventing Cam Newton. And I don't think that's not what people are expecting right now. The Panthers are 60 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. 
No, I, I think he you know helped kind of remake him last year. I mean, that was probably the biggest stride we've seen Cam Newton take. You know, the biggest question is how does how does this how does this offense change with a shoulder um, health? You know, limited now in training camp, but are they going to run him as much? Because they did a little bit last year, which was surprising. But once that shoulder got hurt, it, it became a completely different season for him. Yeah, for sure. And yes, how easy is it to relearn how to throw or to to change your throwing motion as a twenty seven year old? It's incredibly hard, and that's why I personally don't think anything he's doing right now will change once he gets into a live game scenario. All that being said, how about as a thirty-year-old? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, thirty, whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter what age. I, I think it, you know, for Tim Tebow is difficult, and he just got in legal at twenty-two. So you know, it just goes to show you that muscle memory is ingrained, and it's hard to change at that point. But that being said, if you were trying to make a subtle change or a change in your motion or your mechanics, doing what they're doing with them right now would be the best way of doing it because you can continue to allow him to get those reps, those 10,000 reps like it talks about in Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell's book, um, and, and you're eventually going to adopt some of that before you get put into that really stressed scenario where you're actually playing in live games and your body reverts back to that. So buying him more time to work on these mechanics will give him those extra reps that hopefully will become ingrained and that he won't have to think about it. He'll just go out there and play and react, and that's how he'll perform. Ryan, would you like to make a pick? And I agree. The Panthers, Panthers, Panthers are fringe based on where they finished last year. I don't think anybody thinks of them as a top 10 offense from last year, though, right? Fair? I mean, they were ranked that way, but, you know. Ryan. All right. I'm going to go with the team that actually it looks like you picked as well, Brinson. So we're, we're going to hop on the Kirby Cousins bandwagon. I'm going to do it for two and a half, three reasons. One, your boy Garrett Bradbury is now at center. Pidel flying to move over, play guard where he said he's been more comfortable. Number two, Irv Smith, who will join Kyle Rudolph at uh, tight end. And three, they fired uh, the OC, who's now in Jacksonville. What's his name? Uh, John DeFlippo. John DeFlippo, that's right. Right, and now they have Stefanski calling the plays. We know that Mike Zimmer hated DeFlippo um, for not running the ball enough, and I think Dalvin Cook will have a bigger year because of the offensive line, because of the, the play calls. And all together, I think this, this offense has a chance to be in, much improved. They were a huge disappointment last year. I think Cousins will play a lot better. I don't think they win the division, or they may not even make the playoffs, but I think offensively they'll be a little better. I think they could win the Super Bowl. Um, what about, man? This, this, I think they, the Vikings will be really good this year. I do too. I, I, uh, I actually. Are they better than the Packers and the Bears? I think they're, I think they're gonna be better than the Bears. I think the Bears take a step back this year. Oh, yes, that's right. That's, that's a storyline we haven't talked about is like this year to me is huge for Trubisky and really for the Bears because like we thought this about, uh, Blake Bortles. His second year in Jacksonville, statistically speaking, was good enough where we thought like, okay, this, this is their quarterback of the future. And then the next two years went by and you're like, oh no, like this isn't gonna work out. I don't think it'll be that drastic, but I'm just saying if he's got a lot of weapons, if they don't keep on the same path and he regresses a little bit or doesn't become what you'd hope he'd be, you might have heard it here first. Just saying. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you this about the Bears, and I wrote I wrote a piece that's on CBSSports.com right now. We talked about it in the podcast yesterday. Sean tried to debunk it. The Bears are the ultimate regression candidate. Uh, they they have a bunch of they led the they had twenty they had like twenty seven interceptions last year. That's insane. <laughs> I mean, that's a ridiculous number. It's not going to happen again. Next closest was twenty one. They lost Bryce Callahan. They lost Adrian Amos. They lost Vic Fangio. Uh, they won a bunch of close games. The defense is going to take a step back. 
The question is, can the offense shore it up? Right now, there's a bunch of buzz that Matt Nagy is like visibly frustrated by how inaccurate Mitchell Trubisky looks like uh, in practice, which means you're probably safe on that MVP bet, Ryan. I'm going to tell you something, guys. I put a bet in on uh, the Vikings to win the Super Bowl and Kirk Cousins to win uh, MVP because I think it's a possible thing. Wow. wow. What were the odds on that? 47-1 to for Cousins to win MVP. Nice. Now, are you willing to tell me the, the, what you what you bid or what you wager? Uh, just twenty five bucks. And it's a, solid. That's a solid payout. Yeah, I mean, it pays out like twelve hundred bucks or something or whatever. The, yeah, but the, here's the logic: is that that yeah. offense with Gary Kubiak is the same offense that Kirk Kirk Cousins learned in Washington. I mean, he yeah. this is what he came in is the Shanahan did style scheme. Did you almost say Kirk Cameron? <laughs> did I say <laughs> Kirk? I said Kirk Cameron for a second. No, he said Ryan says Kirby Cousins. I call him Kirby because when he played poorly, he was a Kirby. But he he was Kirby last year. Well, I thought hey, it was I thought it was Kurt, not Kirk. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's Kurt right. with Bruce Allen. Yeah. Hey, so let me ask this because we have I don't think anyone had Jackson on their list, and for obvious reasons. But some people think that Jackson might be good this year. Hmm. Um, wait, Brady. Someone, it's not you, Brady. You don't think Jackson was going to be good, do you? Well, okay. Here are my concerns with Jacksonville. One, I'm not sure why people would be as high on them only because, A, you've got an offensive coordinator that it didn't work out when he called plays in Minnesota. So why would you think it's going to work out when he calls plays in Jacksonville? Um, they had a better cast there in Minnesota, um, at least as far as the pass catchers go. Uh, I don't know that there's any one proven guy in, in Jacksonville that I feel overly confident in. Uh, that's an issue for me. The offensive line, if they have any injuries, all of a sudden is going to struggle. And I think they're they're not one of the better offensive lines to begin with. And then Nick Foles, like, look, regardless of the fact that, you know, he got paid like he's a starter and all that, and and he's had success in the postseason, he's had success at times in his career, I just, you know, there's a reason why Philly decided to let him go and stick with Carson Wentz. So, you know, b- because of that, he finds himself in a good situation in Jacksonville, but I don't think that means this all of a sudden becomes a prolific offense. I think they just need him to be capable and manage the game if they can run the football. And that's still kind of a big if, too. So that's an offense that I just – I'm, I'm not really sure where the explosiveness and the big plays and all that's going to come from. Maybe DJ Shark will grow up or Marquise Lee or whoever else you want to throw in the conversation. But you know, for me, I just, I think it's honestly a bunch of question marks and it has the potential to be an offense that really doesn't do much and doesn't really develop an identity throughout the course of the year. Well, yeah. I asked that because you, we were talking, you mentioned Blake Bortles. I honestly, I think that, um, Nick Foles, he might be 1.5, maybe two wins better than Blake Bortles. But if you're asking me, let's say Blake Bortles, Jared Goff is hurt, and Blake Bortles has to play with Sean McVay in L.A. I am taking Blake Bortles' productivity in L.A. with Sean McVay over whatever Nick Foles does in Jacksonville. That's how much faith I have, not in, Nick, in Bortles, but in McVay and what he's capable of doing. And I, I was wondering what you guys, if you buy into that, you sell them that. Uh, sell. Uh, I'm not going to sell that, actually. I, I, I could buy into that. I think that's... An interesting uh, conversation because that immediately sends my mind to, okay, then what's Jared Goff worth? Exactly. You know, I mean, you really do have to ask that question if you feel that way. Um, but I, I do believe when you look at their system, their offense, and you break down tape, there's a lot of guys running wide open, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't want the DVOA or DV, DVA, DA, or whatever it is, the ADA. I'm not sure what's going on. But you, uh, when, you, when you're when you watching the tape, that's what you see. And you see, like, man, there's some easy completions out there for him. There's some easy matchups that he's getting with a lot of space where it's an easy completion and a lot of yards after the catch. So don't get me wrong. I mean, Jared Goff has, has played well, and he's dropped some dimes from time to time and played tough. But um, there's also a lot of stuff out there. I think a lot of quarterbacks would like to have the ability to, to play in that sort of system with that sort of talent. Well, one of the schemes like that 
Kyle Shanahan scheme. A lot of times the guy's running wide open. What are the odds, Brady, that the 49ers could become a very big surprise top offense this year? I don't believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that they were top 10 in yards this year. <laughs> they were not. You're right. And I love this pick. You know why? Ooh, wow. Because what it takes is Jimmy Garoppolo healthy, and that gives them a great chance of this. Then you add in the fact that they've gotten better in the offseason with some of the talent, not only at the wide receiver, Kittle's now at his breakout year, but they've also loaded up the running back position, bringing in Tevin Coleman to help out Jerk McKinnon. You'll get him back. It's almost like they, they signed him this year, considering his injury last year. So I love this because think about it. Think about what Kittle did last year, and even with how this offense operated with a the guy, they literally got off the street and helped them win a couple football games. Um, so because of that, I think there's definitely a chance. I love Kyle Shanahan's offense. I think this team definitely has some potential too. And when you look at the division, look, that the Rams gave up a ton of yards last year. We'll see if, if they're able to combat that and get better this year. Um, you don't have the Cardinals. They've got a pretty tough defense, but you know, again, you're going to be in a shootout if you're going to play an up-tempo offense like Arizona plays. And then you go to Seattle. Seattle could have a tough defense. Obviously tough to play up there. Uh, but they've got a number of, uh, you know, injuries, guys suspended. Like we'll see what that defense looks like with some of the different pieces now since Frank Clark in particular has moved on. Mm. And, uh, Finally, we both had the Vikings, but Ryan also added the. Oh no, you have. Uh, did we mention the Texans? No, let's talk about the Texans because my other no, team. You, you know, we already, well, we already talked about the Texans. But... I'll do it for two seconds. Okay. Uh, I just paint. Here's why: and the offensive line has to come together. They're doing the joint practices uh, with the Packers. Titus mm-hmm. Howard, the Alabama State first round pick that they sort of leapt for. He felt like reached for. Excuse me, because Andre Dillard went to pick before to the Eagles. If the offensive line can figure it out. I think this offense will make a huge leap. They actually didn't do well in, in DVOA, and that's understandable because what's Deshaun was going down 62 times. So offensive line, huge question mark. They drafted two guys in the first two rounds, both small school guys. That has to magically fix itself. Mm. Uh, and uh, fi- so you, finally, you don't buy or don't buy the Seahawks having one of the best offenses in football? I do, but I didn't realize they were so efficient last year, according to the advanced metrics. I mean, Tyler Lockett is incredibly good, and we we talked on the last podcast with Brady about Gary Jennings, the rookie, helping out, and obviously DK Metcalf having an impact. And they can run the ball. I don't think Schottenheimer's necessarily going to throw the ball more. I, I sort of wish he w- wish they would. But the balance during the season worked out. In, in the pre in the postseason, we were yelling and screaming at the television because they kept running the ball in, into a big L. But we'll see if that balance happens. I don't suspect it will. For that reason, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say there's no chance because I just don't think they're going to throw the football enough to get there. And on top of it, I mean, you're betting on DK Metcalf to be – you know, a, a big time star and Tyler Lockett to, you know, slide into the number one spot. You know, Jennings could help out, but I just, I don't see this becoming a prolific passing offense, not only one with, with the play caller that they have, but also in general with, with so many, you know, two rookies and another guy who's never really been in that number one role. Uh, I, I think right now, if you're looking at, um, if you're looking just at the NFC West division, I, I think you'd be a bit concerned. If you're the Seahawks, based on how your wide receivers match up versus what you're going to see from your opponents. So look, they've had success doing this before. You know, guys who, especially when Doug Baldwin first got there, not, not a lot of people thought they were going to be much, but you know, they, they, they figured it out. They ended up, you know, becoming big, big, full, big time impactful players. So maybe that'll be the case with these guys, but I, I've got to see it to believe it first. Mm, I'm with yeah, you. No tight end either. Even though Brian Schottenheimer said he was going to throw to running backs a bunch and people got all hot and bothered about it. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm with you. Let's, uh, let's hold off on crowning the Seahawks. Still a very good list. Great discussion about football, life, and all things in between. Brady Quinn, uh, back next week. 
Yeah. Next week, maybe at Tuesday or Wednesday or something, we got to figure it out. Yeah, but, uh, I got a, I'm kind of jet setting right now this time of year, so it's tough. You're, you're, you're a big time superstar. Uh, Ryan Wilson, so are you. Thanks as always, fellas. Thank you. Thank you.